Hey everyone, Jeff here, and thank you for joining me on the Highway One podcast, the podcast where we meet Canadian musicians, some you've heard of, and some I hope you'll want to hear more about, where we discuss their music, their scene, their city, the venues they've played, and the places they've been along Canada's own TransCan Highway. In this edition of the podcast, episode number five, we catch up with Ken Kelly of the Monoxides. Back in the late 90s, I had a unique opportunity to tour Mexico as part of a music delegation slash exchange between the Mexican government and the Canadian embassy. There were a bunch of bands on the tour, six as I recall, uh, the big names being Rusty, uh, and then there was On, formerly known as Acid Test, and the Monoxides. At the time, I had heard of the Monoxides from friends and friends who had shared a gig or two here and there. I knew they are from the East Coast, and I knew they were signed to a major. It wasn't until we got to Mexico where I got to meet them and see them play. Their live show, for starters, was amazing. Great songs, great energy, great musicianship, very polished, and what I would consider to be a complete package. It was easy to see how these guys got signed. If that wasn't enough, all four guys in the band were four of the nicest people you'd ever want to meet. As I recall, they introduced themselves on day two, and we became fast friends for the two weeks that we spent playing shows in and around Mexico City. I've been lucky enough to keep in contact over the past 20 years since that tour. The Monoxides are a great Canadian story. They came out of the East Coast during the early to mid-90s when their area was getting a lot of attention from its talent and burgeoning music scene. They worked on their music, played shows, toured, hustled, got signed to a major, recorded a full-length album with TPOH's Mulberg as producer, then got dropped almost as quickly as they got signed to the label. This is all early internet pre-social media, pre-downloading days for some of our younger listeners. It's a classic Cinderella story smothered in snow, maple syrup, East Coast hospitality, and pure rock and roll. Without further delay, let's get into this. Hello. Ken. Hey, man. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing really well. It's been a while. Awesome. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a long time. Like, <laughs> you know, um, I hate to be that guy that's always kind of looking back on the past, but I mean, yeah, it's been, it's, it's been, it's been a long time. I mean, look, it's already been like this year will be what, 21 years since we were in Mexico. I know. <laughs> it's funny. Like, it's just, yeah. I mean, dude, yeah. funny and that you mentioned that because I was looking at, um, I was looking at photos the other day. I actually have a, a photo album, which is a yeah. thing of the past. And um, the trip to uh, Tahitwakan, you were there. You were there with yeah. your, your video camera. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I totally re- erased that from my mind. <laughs> <laughs> that, was a, that was a good day. I mean, I don't know. It's like, it sounds, it sounds corny, but like, I don't know. That was worth getting up at whatever, six in the morning. And I mean, it's like, it's those experiences, you know, that... This is going to sound really corny, but it's like, it's that stuff that stays with me. Not so much the the shows. I mean, yeah, the sh- shows are, are always fun to play, but it's like, it's those little extras that I find have, have stuck with me even more so, like, you know, the last 20 years. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree with you more, which is part and parcel for, for why I wanted to do the po- the podcast. Cause I was, I was wondering, you know, like, uh, who the people who have who've toured this country uh, did it did it have that effect on them they did they did they come home and 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 not think about it or you know does it seem to uh, persist in their mind like oh this place this place this place uh, because yeah. i think yeah. it's such a unique experience right and and how many people honestly get that opportunity to go coast to coast and visit every province cuz I, I would think uh, you might have a few people in your inner circle, as I know I certainly do, that uh, who have never left the province, right? And so, oh, yeah. having the yeah. opportunity to go coast to coast, like I want to know, I want to know what what was that like for you? Did it did has it has it has it had any impact at all since you've done it? Uh, it's tough to say if there's been impact since I've done it. I mean, it, you know it, but. Like I said, you, you carry those experiences, and it's not so much the you know the the shows, although specifics about shows all kind of you know blend in together. It's it's the the traveling and 
you know, getting to getting from point A to point B that, you know, that comes up probably more so if not, um, if not the most often, then, you know, you know, it's rare that we'll, you know, talk about a, a show, a specific show amongst us, but, you know, we'll, you know, we're a lot faster to share stories about, um, about, you know, hey, remember when we were on the way to here and we stopped here? I mean, it, it's those kind of just, you know, one-off stories that, that end up being the best. I mean, you know, you, going back to what you said about having the opportunity to travel, I mean, my mom uh, had never been west of Ottawa kind of thing. And, you know, and so that was, you know, and, and neither did my father, I don't think, for, for that reason. And that's why, like... I don't know if you knew this, but like my father on our first cross country tour back in 95, he actually flew to Winnipeg and went Manitoba to BC with us because like he had like my, like he had a nephew in, in Vancouver, um, like my cousin Danny and he, you know, my dad thought, what a great opportunity. So, you know, he asked, he's like, you know, can I tag along? We're like, sure, you know, extra, extra driver. <laughs> and I think it kind of settled some of the, the worriedness on probably my mom's part. Um, you know, about having basically four teenagers <laughs> driving, you know, across the country without, <laughs> not, not that they didn't trust us, but it's just like from, you know, from a, a safety factor kind of thing, like, you know, and, sure. and it's our, it was our first time visiting all these places. And so it was, you know, I think it, it put my mom's mind at, at ease, if not others in the band, uh, parents as well, because, you know, it's like my father was, was the, um, the, the guy that, you know, he, he didn't he didn't mind the late nights and kind of, you know, the, the travel and all that. Like, I, I think he got just as much of a kick out of it as we did. That's awesome. Um, yeah. Let me let me let me actually start with a bit of, of your background. So so Ken, where are you from? Uh, from Moncton. Moncton and yeah. And who were some of your musical influences when you were growing up? It's tough to say. Like I, you know, some of my earliest memories like i'm the third of of three kids and so i had two older sisters well I, I still have two older sisters and they were um they were into like basically pop music and like i remember like some of the first seven inches like they had when seven inches were actually you know the 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 format of choice yeah like i remember you know hearing like uh john cougar's like jack and diane and journeys don't stop believing <laughs> and and elton john's empty garden the song he wrote for for john lennon and like those are so those are some of my like earliest memories i wouldn't necessarily say they influenced me but it's like but i grew up on on a really kind of steady diet of of modern pop music of the day and it wasn't until uh steve you know I, i've known steve all my life like i can't i there's not been one point in my life that he hasn't been a part of it and you know he brought down you know steve was always into heavier stuff and like i didn't mind it but it didn't really you know take with me and then for whatever reason he brought down i say brought down because we live literally down the street from one another and so he brought to my house like metallica's master of puppets oh. like, so i would have been like 10 11 years old and i was just like holy shit like and that game was, changer you know, that was kind of yeah like that was if if you know you hear about people talking about kind of those musical like awakenings like that was like the you know that was mine kind of thing for uh, sure absolutely it's funny you you mentioned that record cuz uh i mowed lawns uh for an entire summer and worked in in this factory taping boxes together and uh -huh. that was all I listened to on my on my cassette. Uh, I would say it was a Walkman, but it, it wasn't a Sony Walkman. It was probably like a you know a POS <laughs> Citizen, right? Because yeah, I couldn't yeah. afford a Sony. But I, that's all I listened to until I wore the tape out, and then I went and bought another one. And then, of uh -huh. course, from back then, it was like, okay, well, now I got to listen to Ride the Lightning, and I got to listen to uh, Kill 'Em All. And and I remember buying yeah. the Kill 'Em All uh, picture disc, uh, uh -huh. having that on vinyl, and it's just like. Yeah, it was like a musical awakening. You're like, what's going on here, and yeah. how can I be a part of that? <laughs> yeah, it totally was, and like, and another record from back then too. And of course, you know, not that Steve and I were brought up in in strict, strict, you know, households by any means. But I mean, like Metallica was like fucking stuff like that. And I was like, whoa, you know, like that, that was a big thing. And then you know, and so from there, like my kind of taste branched out. And I ended up getting like you know another one of those records. Um, uh, 
you know, so I, I was hooked on to Metallica from there. And then it took me a little longer to get into Guns N' Roses, but I mean, Appetite for Destruction yeah. is, is, you know, like huge. Like that was, you know, I was in like grade seven, I think. So like 12, 13 years old. And of course they were just swearing, you know, like, you know, way more often than, than Metallica. But I mean, it's not like I was drawn to um, that aspect of the music, but it was just something like, there was something raw about it. And like, you know, and then when I met, uh, when we started hanging out with PJ, like that was, you know, so I spent most of my junior high years like listening to like heavy metal stuff. And then PJ really turned me on to like bands like Bad Brains, Minor Threat, like kind of the hardcore and yeah. punk stuff. So I mean, all the guys in my band like have played uh, an integral part of my musical education and kind of, you know, what's helped, you know, shape me into to who I am today and what I listen to today. Okay, so when did when did uh, the Monoxides get together and form? So it actually kind of started as a joke. Steve and I, um, uh, New Year's Eve, and I'm great with remembering dates for whatever reason, but New Year's Eve, like 1987 going into 88, yeah. was kind of the first time that Steve and I had, had made music together. And like we recorded the whole thing, and we were making up songs like kind of as we went. And you just kind of, you know, relying on visual cues. Um, and then, so we did that for, for, I don't know, I guess a couple of years and then PJ joined and then we had like, there's been, you know, there was a few people in and out, uh, and then Derek joined in 1991. So that's, that's usually what, like we say when we got together, because that's what I kind of consider the band is, is uh, like myself, Steve, PJ and Derek. And so that was, that was, uh, 1991. Right. And that's the lineup that I met in 97. And, yeah. you know, a testament to you guys. You guys were the friendliest guys uh, we had met. Um, and and it's funny because, and, I, and I'm not just saying that, because uh, um, we have mutual friends um, from Lennoxville that, yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that knew you guys. And they're like, oh, do you know the monoxides? I'm like, we know the monoxides. We know the monoxides. Ah! <laughs> you know that sort of thing. It's like because you guys were so friendly. It's like yeah, there's this killer band and they're super friendly guys. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, I think. Well, thank you. You know, first of all, but I think a lot of that was just kind of uh, maybe uh, friendliness mixed with some disbelief that kind of we were you know actually getting to do something with the band other than you know play like legions or whatever in Moncton. I mean, there was always. Um, I think there was always, in in my view anyway, like we we always felt kind of thankful for the opportunities we were given. Like we and it was nothing like I don't think we ever took it for granted. I mean, it was, I mean, it was fun first and foremost, and and yeah, I mean, we were you know why why be you know jerks like that's kind <laughs> of like I mean that's just that's not anyone anyway. But I mean, you know. Um, yeah, I, I think we were just, I think there was probably just a, a lot of gratitude mixed in our, you know, mixed in our lives that we just, we felt thankful to, yeah. to kind of be out there, as I'm sure you did too, like when, you know, like, holy shit, like we're going to Mexico to play, like, you know, who would have, who, you know, who would have ever thought of that happening? I mean, it's yeah. just, you know, it, it's ridiculous, you know, considering that, you know, you like we started like in a bedroom kind of like not a not as an accident but i mean it's just it's neat looking back the way to see the way that kind of all the the pieces like how we you know became that big voltron or transformer guy you know and how we uh, were all you know inter you know all interconnected or or whatever yeah you know? yeah it, you know it's it's the one thing too that i say um, when I speak to to other musicians, and 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 I'm going to say younger musicians because of my age, and, and I think it's fair to say, but it's you have a have a bar set for what you think success is. Now, if success means to you that you have to have a major label signing and gold records on the wall, and, and followed by the masses, then okay, then you set your sights on that, but. You know, there's other successes too, which I measure and, and, and I kind of uh, 
appreciate it in and and from an indie standpoint and in that which was like getting to tour canada and and going to a place like mexico and meeting guys like you like for me that and, and putting out an independent release like that was that's 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 success for me like i i was able to to do it i, I you know nobody knows who i am nobody knows who my band is and that's fine or my bands were fine but i still have that that monicum of success i i've done something i did it and, and and i think that's important for for young bands coming out today and especially canadian bands because i mean our our population is so uh sparse comparatively and our and our and our region our geographic region is so massive that it's it's important to keep that in mind mm-hmm. now no i totally and and maybe i'm sorry sorry to interrupt but yeah. i i think that that was probably one word that I probably could have thrown in when you were talking about how nice we were is like, that was, I mean, you could argue that, you know, sure. We didn't, the whole music career thing didn't pan out for, for either of us kind of maybe the way we would have liked it to, but I don't see it as a failure by any means. I mean, holy shit, you know, I had and lost a record contract by the time I turned 22. And I mean, I know there are guys you know, probably in their fifties that dedicated a good part of their life to trying to, you know, grab that, you know, golden apple and and never getting it. And so I think, I think that's where a lot of the gratitude comes from is it's almost like it's not, it it almost felt like we had, you know, like we had won the lottery in some ways. And and regardless of how things turned out, it's like, we were just grateful to kind of be doing what we do or what we did rather. Yeah. Now, the interesting thing about talking with you guys, which I'm grateful for in that, in that one, um, I think the East Coast has the friendliest people in Canada. Two, I also think it's where um, rock and roll lives and breathes. It's the heart of uh, rock and roll in Canada. Um, and the third part is that you guys came out in that early to mid-90s um, explosion where there was a lot of attention put on the east coast and the east coast sound you i mean uh i was a big fan of thrush hermit and eric's trip and of course everybody knows sloan and sloan's got a new record out so you guys were all part of that east coast sound but like while you guys were immersed in it did you do you guys feel like there was act there was actually such a thing as an east coast sound or it's like no that's what everybody's doing um i don't know if if there was you know like each of those bands you mentioned um i think Honestly, the only thing that all of us had in common is the fact that we kind of hailed from this geographic region um, because, you know, Sloan were, you know, Sloan and, and Eric Tripp sounded nothing alike. And, and likewise, I don't think we sound like either of those bands. But right. I think I, I think they all proved to be influential and we all kind of um, drew from one another in, in different ways. Like, I know speaking from my perspective... And and like and that's not intended as a slight against any of those other guys, like, no. because it's like it's a close knit community here. And even though Moncton and Halifax are you know a few hours apart, it's like it's still like it, it's still in some ways like there's always been a healthy kind of you know competition. But I think um, I think one thing that was a big driver behind the whole East Coast thing back in the '90s was kind of Sloan and Eric Strip leading the charge. And like I've I, I didn't. I didn't look to them for musical inspiration as much as I kind of saw like, well, okay, if they can land a record deal, like there's no reason why we can't kind of thing. Like it was kind of like, that's how they inspired me kind of thing to show that because till then, I mean, up till then, like it was like, well, you want to be serious about music. You moved to Toronto and stuff like that. And they kind of showed us like, no, you don't have to do that. Like, you know, you can, you can be a success and, and tour and stuff and, and still call the East coast your home. And I mean, you look at a guy like Joel Plaskin, I mean, Joel's, you know, Joel's done really well for himself. And I mean, I love the guy and, and I mean, he's, you know, called Nova Scotia home all this time kind of thing. And it's, it's, you know, and again, that's not a slight against, you know, bands leaving the region to go live in Toronto. Like I understand both sides, but I mean, you know, it's, uh, it's uh yeah it, it's really you know it, it's an interesting you know it's an interesting you know kind of dynamic we, we have out here yeah. um we being you know musicians in general like you know because we are kind of a a, a planet unto ourselves and i mean you know and and you know we don't always get, you know, like the, the caliber of, of acts that, uh, that, you know, Toronto gets or Montreal gets, 
you know, and I think a lot of times the Maritimes are kind of an afterthought for a lot of bands and even yeah. for a lot of Canadian bands. It's like, oh, you know, how many press releases have I seen that have been like, oh, you know, Band X going on a cross-country tour and it like ends in Montreal. It's like, ah, <laughs> you know, like, come on. And I mean, and I understand. And, and you know, bands have said, well, you know, we, we just can't get enough, you know, enough money to, to justify coming out east. And it's like, well, you know. Uh, I don't know, maybe just temper your expectations. Like, I don't want to be a dick, but it's like, you know, we've got, you know, if, if you can build a following here, I mean, you know, and I've been lucky enough to speak with, like, bands like, uh, you know, the Sheepdogs and the Cancer Bats, and I mean, they've all, you know, they keep coming back because, you know, people appreciate that dedication to, you know, kind of, you know, coming to, to revisit. And I mean, the, the Cancer Bats, I think, if I'm not you know, getting my wires crossed. I think like one of their first tours out of Ontario was like the Maritimes and they said it just blew them away. And, and, you know, um, it, it you know, it, it just both in, in terms of like the amount of people that came out, but just also like we're, we tend to be like a loyal, a loyal crew kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. You know, when That's it comes to being music fans. You bring that up because uh, it, I would say that the fact that, um, Toronto and say Montreal and the big vent, the big cities in, in in this country, them getting and and Toronto getting all the big names that come through town, it has a real impact on the music scene itself and negatively, I would say, in the sense that um, people are we're, the city, the citizens of the city are, are spoiled in that. Why would they spend 20 bucks on going to a bar to see four bands, five bands that they don't know anything about and then have to pay yeah. another seven bucks for a pint um, yeah. when they could save that money and then go see the next big thing that's probably going to be coming through town that the next week. Yeah. Whereas the further you get away from the city, as you pointed out, you don't get all those big names. And so it, it tends to foster... Uh, a solid music scene where people are are enthusiastic and go out regularly to see local bands that they've never heard of and and are open to discovering new independent music. So, with that in mind, would, did you find that there was a lot of places for you guys to play back then? And and let's also talk about the, the current state of the East Coast. If there's still a lot of places or not a lot of places for you to play. Um, there was, there was never really any, and I don't want to sound, um, uh, like I'm coming across as arrogant, but I don't, I don't know, or I don't think, um, that we ever really had a, a lot of difficulty, like booking into cities. Like, no, I, I, you know, it's not to, not to say that we were like packing clubs from day one. I mean, it took us honestly the better part of three, four years before, we figured out that people, some people in Toronto were actually coming to see us. I mean, it was just like, we always just kind of ended up being an incidental part of their, their evening. Um, and, but I mean, it took like a solid, like three, four years of, of, you know, just playing almost every opportunity we could. And then, you know, then we started finding out like, okay, well, you know, finally some people are, are coming to see us. And uh, for whatever reason, like Vancouver was always good to us. I don't know if it's, if it was just kind of like, holy shit, like these guys are from Atlanta, Canada, like, you know, yeah. um, and when I say always good to us, I mean, it's relative, like, you know, there'd be maybe whatever, like 30, 50 people at a show. But I mean, to us, like, again, like that whole notion of success, it's like, here we are on the other side of the country and people are, are coming to see us kind of thing. Like that's, you know, that's success in our books. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, uh, as for today, um, you know, I find Jeff, there's uh, there's always been an ebb and a flow to kind of venues and and whatnot. And right now, uh, I'm not. You know, there's there's venues here in town that are that are putting on shows and like and theaters. And so there's always kind of a hub of activity. But and you know, there are a couple bars in town that you know that will host kind of indie bands and and whatnot. And I think that's you know that's just as essential as kind of the bigger venues hosting shows too. Sure. Um, you know, but honestly, man, like there's been so many times, I mean, and, and again, like I don't want to wax too nostalgic here, but I think there's so many times 
that I think like, man, like I think, I think I was involved in kind of a business at like the perfect time because people perfect, you know, relatively speaking, because pardon me, the internet, you know, wasn't really a thing, let alone for, for discovering new bands. But, you know, with the internet means, you know, yeah, it's easier to perhaps, uh, gain and, and maintain a following but then there's that much more stuff you have to fight through as well absolutely and i mean yeah so uh, yeah so uh, i'm sorry i interrupted you again no um, that's okay it's yeah, you know and, i couldn't agree so with you more i think it's i think the access to great music thanks to the internet is is abundant however it's finding it it's there's just so much noise and having to, to weed through and find that really good stuff um, is very difficult. To, is very difficult at best. The stuff yeah. that we see, we hear on the on the radio, um, the big pop artists where they're pumping all their money into. I don't necessarily think that's representative of 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 the internet or well, it is. But what's truly inspiring out there. Um, I think there's the stuff that's being promoted right now is adverse to independent music in that it's made music disposable. It's, 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 it's the flavor of the month. It's here today, gone later today. Generate as much revenue as you possibly can out of that artist and that song for the time being, and then move on to the next one, move on to the next one. Whereas back in our time, you know, uh, back in the in the mid '90s, that perfect storm where it's like the internet hadn't come about yet, and artists were still legacy artists. You, you had an opportunity to put a couple albums together and, and really kind of foster a, 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 an upbringing, or sorry, foster a, um, a crowd, you know, a fan base. I, 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 I know that that still exists within the internet, but it's just harder to find and it's harder to to come about. I mean, that's just my perspective too. Like I said, I I feel like the internet has made music disposable and if you if, oh yeah. yeah yeah no no I, I i completely agree and and people want to be wowed really quickly like i mean it, it's almost as though people's expectations and and i'm including myself in that it's almost like you know people's expectations are so sky high that you know it, 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 being a success is almost the exception you know rather than the rule that it might have been back in the 90s when you got radio play or whatever absolutely um, because you know th- there's no artist development these days and and i think that's really what's lacking is and major labels aren't necessarily interested in developing artists you know they wait until you build up your facebook you know following to a million and you know the same on twitter and then they'll jump on board and kind of say well okay we'll do this but i mean that was one thing like uh, the guy that signed us to our to our BMG contract, this guy David Bendis, um, he's you know gone on to produce like a lot of like you know heavy metal acts, and I mean David's a really well respected guy, and like and and he was he was wise, um, you know. He, we were also told he was a bit of a hard ass, and I remember him saying to us, he's like you know he said, guys, I'm not signing you for your your first couple of albums. He's like, I want to see where this thing goes on your third, fourth, and fifth records. And, you know, we're kind of, and at the time, like, I don't think we necessarily had the maturity to appreciate that. But looking back, I mean, he had a plan in his head, you know, like, okay, I'm going to get these guys on the road, let them develop and, you know, and we'll see where they're at, you know, yeah, you know, with the third, fourth and fifth records. And that's kind of like, and I mean, I'm not comparing us by any means, but that's kind of how, um, how Kings of Leon have, have played out in a way like their first couple of records were, you know, kind of ramshackle and, and loose. And then by the third one, like they started tightening up and then the fourth one, like they were huge. Yeah. And I mean, I'm, I'm not saying that we would have ever followed that trajectory, but you can kind of see the, the development that went into, you know, kind of, you know, making, you know, getting them to, to that next step. Oh, with absolutely. Their, their, their image and their sound has evolved dramatically uh, uh-huh. From their first record to it to where it is today, um, yeah. and, and that's probably that's a great example of a, of perhaps um, a legacy artist in that a, a label is still they're still signed to a major label and uh-huh. still getting money pumped into it, but they're also of course generating uh, 
quite a bit of revenue themselves, right? So yeah. it makes sense. But again, I, uh, um, maybe an exception to the rule to what I was suggesting earlier. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So how many times do you think you've toured Canada? We we went across Canada, I think it was seven times. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, and that's a drop in the bucket compared to what, you know, to what some acts do. I mean, you know, we... Um, we were lucky and, and, you know, we did, I think like a couple tours on our own and then, or probably a few tours on our own. And then like we did a, a couple others, like supporting other acts. So, I mean, yeah. yeah, I think all in all it was, it was probably seven times across. And when I say across, like kind of ending in Atlanta, Canada, or <laughs> ending in the Maritimes and, you know, sure. here I am saying across Canada, but you know, we were only to Newfoundland a couple of times ourselves too. So. Sure. So if you had to guess and you do, who do you think has the record for the most tours across Canada. Holy crap. <laughs> I have no I, I have no idea like kind of who because for the record my money's I, on Helix. Yeah, I I would put I would put yeah, like you know one of those like legacy bands for sure. I asked the like, question of know. um of uh Ian Blurton and he said he thinks Joe shithead um, he has, oh, maybe he might, like, I didn't even think of that one, right? Like, Ooh, I never thought of that one. Yeah. No, it, it, it's tough to say because I mean, back in, you know, back in none of those early DOA days or whatever. Yeah. They would have been, man, that's a, that's a, uh, that's something to think about for sure. Because, you know, as, as big as Rush were everywhere else in the world, I don't, I don't know if they ever really, like, they didn't seem to regularly do, well, I don't think they did regular cross-Canada tours. I don't think so you know, either. Like, you know, when, when Rush played Halifax back in 2013, I mean, it was the first time they were back in the Maritimes for, like, 25 years. Crazy. So, yeah. So, I mean, and, you know, and not faulting them for it, like, no, by, by any means, but, I mean, it's, uh, yeah, that would be that would be interesting to, uh, to find out. So... You'd mentioned that you've toured Canada with with your dad in tow uh, in a van. So how did you guys do it? What was the setup? Where did the gear go? Did you have a trailer? Did you have everything packed in the van? How did? What was the setup? So our manager or our former manager Jody bought us an old ambulance, and uh, and, I mean we ran that thing into the ground. So there was no windows. What's that? There was no windows in the sides. Was only in the back. Okay, so the so the van had side doors and that had windows. Okay, but kind of going down like the driver's side of the van, there was no windows. But we actually <laughs> had one installed because you know we you know it, it got pretty. Uh, if you were sitting in back, I mean, not that it was a huge deal, and not that any of us you know minded that much. But I mean, it, you know, having another side of the van to look out was was certainly you know uh, a, a bonus kind of thing. So we had like two. Uh, kind of captain's chairs up front so one for the driver one for the passenger and then we bought uh, a couple of bench seats in Moncton okay and I don't know if it was Jody and like Derek's father but anyways we bolted those down and put seat belts in them and uh, and then we built kind of like an equipment cage in the back so that if somebody broke into the front of the van they couldn't necessarily get to where the gear is so yeah so we never traveled uh, i mean we never traveled with the trailer it was all in kind of this one self-contained vehicle and mm-hmm. everything like everything fit perfectly like even as kind of our, our uh, equipment got bigger and say the guys got bigger amps or if they got bigger amps like it was never like we never had any difficulty kind of fitting everything everything and everyone in okay so you yeah you guys would uh there's no sleeping on, on the back of the gear or anything like that you guys kind of Ponied up in, in your in your bench chairs when you had to, and yeah, or, or you know between the floor or on the floor between the bench seats kind of thing. Like that kind of became a necessity. Like when we started traveling with the tour manager and stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, it, it was never it was never seen as an inconvenience or, or anything like that. Like I I don't think I ever slept on the floor. Okay. But I I think PJ was one of those guys, or PJ is one of those guys that could just sleep anywhere. <laughs> so I think he most often he most often claimed. Uh, the floor, you know, between uh, <laughs> between the two bench seats. So and I don't know. I'm like, not surprised. I don't. I'm not surprised at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the the way uh, the way the equipment cage was built, though, um, there was a little space that quite often we would use for. Um, 
quite often we'd use just to throw our, our luggage on top. So maybe, you know, it was maybe just a couple feet high, if that. Okay. I mean, maybe not even. And there was a couple of times that, that Steve slept up there and and then he he stopped and I was honestly glad he did. And I think we're all kind of glad he did because he's like, yeah, he's like, if the van ever, you know, if we ever took a dive with the van kind of thing, like yeah. he's, you know, he was like, uh, I don't want to be like kind of in this small space. But I mean, it was it was good in a way because like he was small enough to fit up there. But uh, I was honestly relieved like when he stopped kind of sleeping up there, you know, just to, you know. I mean, you, you don't want to think about that kind of stuff, no, but no, I, no. you know, you have to. But it is, it's, 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 it's the nature of touring Canada. Anything can really happen, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, we, you know, there was, uh, when our BMG record came out in March 97, we were in uh, Vancouver, or I guess maybe the week before it came out. But anyways, we played a show in Vancouver, drove up to Whistler on a Friday, and it was like, it was beautiful, like a really nice summer day. And then the next day, like coming back down to Vancouver from Whistler, it was a fucking snowstorm. <laughs> I mean, it was, you know, and, and uh, I don't know, it's like, and we've been kind of having like van troubles. Like, I don't know exactly, I don't remember exactly what the problem was, but like our van was kind of picking these really inopportune times to stall. And there was one point where we were coming down like kind of, kind of a steep hill and uh, I don't know, the van stalled and Derek, I, I remember like Derek was driving, he was trying to get it started again. <laughs> and we were kind of like sliding towards like this accident that was already kind of like, oh, on no. The yeah. And I remember Jeff, like I had my hand on the side door, like ready to bail out. Like, <laughs> came down to it. But I mean, luckily, like, I don't know who, you know, what divine force allowed our van to start kind of like within, you know, 50 feet of, you know, avoiding this accident. But sure enough, the van started, we, you know, drove around it, but it was kind of like, you know, <laughs> it, it's, stuff, it, it's stuff like that. Like it's, it's, it's fun in retrospect and yeah. hell when you're, you know, when you're in the, the middle of the situation. Absolutely. So, so carrying on with that sort of thing, um, mm-hmm. did you have any moments in all your tours across Canada where you're like, found yourself in, say, as an example, found yourself in a campsite with 10 bucks in your pocket um, and cooking, like, hot dogs as your only meal, uh, wondering how you were going to get to your next gig, anything like that? Pumping com- pumping quarters into a, into the meter just so you don't get towed, that kind of thing? Uh, yeah, so a couple, of those, uh, a couple of those situations come to mind. And the first, um, the first was probably at the tail end of our tour, uh, of our first cross-country tour, so, like, November 1995. And I don't know why we were so broke. Well, I mean, we were on tour, so, I mean, that could explain it. But, <laughs> like, and like, you're I, musicians. <laughs> I, yeah, like, I don't remember the exact situation, but um, I remember, like, we. I'm pretty sure, I don't even know if we had enough money for our per diems. So we were all kind of, like, we are all hungry. And I remember, like, I had a Visa card at the time, and, like, I went and bought us dinner, uh, you know, and I think we just went to, like, KFC or something. But, I mean, we... we scarf that shit down like you know we were freaking you know peasants and and you know the king hadn't fed us for a long time and then there was one other time in toronto where kind of the same situation like we were playing a show and i think it was the bear mcneils had had like a, an industry function at this club we were playing and they kind of let us go to the buffet kind of thing like that was you know that was just so we had won the lottery i mean it was like, <laughs> like good you know good food um, so, I mean, yeah, we, we had a couple of those and then probably the, the hardest drive, I wouldn't say hardest, you know, from a, a physical standpoint, but probably one of the, the, one of my fond, it's actually one of my fondest memories in that, um, we were in Vancouver and had, uh, we had lost a couple of bookings and our management was trying to, like we were staying with a friend in Vancouver. So fortunately we weren't like racking up a hotel bill. But we were kind of getting weary, like we kind of thought, well, you know, we've kind of outstayed our welcome. And w- like we weren't getting that vibe, but it's just like us kind of yeah. trying to be good East Coast, you know, conscientious um, guests. And uh, our management was trying to get us to stay in Vancouver because like they had a show booked in Regina for Wednesday night. And we're just kind of like, man, like, what are we going to do here for the next three days? And so we just decided to drive like Vancouver to Toronto and we did it straight. And so all four of us in the band drove. So 
really the only time we ever came off the highway was to eat or gas up. And I mean, and we always tried to tried to combine those two things when possible kind of thing so that we weren't needing to, you know, stop a whole lot extra. Absolutely. And so we left Vancouver at noon on a Sunday and we rolled into Toronto at like 11 o'clock Tuesday night. So it was like 72, not quite 72 hours um, straight, but like the only time, the only time that the van ever stopped moving was just a little bit outside of Thunder Bay when just kind of like all four of us hit the wall kind of thing. Yeah. And, uh, but I mean, I was, you know. That's an epic, epic trip. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's just it. And like our parents, you know, our parents were like, don't do that. They're like, just call us and we'll give you a credit card. But I mean. To us, it was like, well, we don't care. Like, yeah. you know, we weren't bothered by it. I mean, it was all kind of, you know, it was all part of the adventure. And I mean, we could have stayed. Like, I don't want to sound like we were spoiled kind of thing. But, like, our parents, you know, were concerned about our safety. And we're like, we're fine. Like, we've got four of us to drive. You know, if you're not driving, you can sleep whenever you want. Or not sleep. I mean, it's it's up to you kind of thing. And, like, there was never any pressure for someone, if you felt tired, to get behind the wheel. Because chances are there was someone else that was feeling totally fine. I mean, you know, we, it, it's just like, we just went with the flow and like there was yeah. one drive, actually Jeff, the, the drive we did from Toronto to Moncton after we got back from Mexico, I think just Derek and I were the only drivers. Like I drove the first little while and then Derek drove and I slept while he drove. And then I got up, I'm like, Hey, do you want me to drive? And like, so two of us did like the, the drive from Toronto to Moncton. And it's just like, I don't know. It just always worked out. I mean, there was there was rarely ever any point where all four of us were too zonked to drive. I mean, there were some some of those points, but I mean, more often than not, there was always someone you know that could drive for an hour or two, like if somebody needed a nap or something like that. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, I have a skill testing question for you. Okay. So, Google says that the drive from Toronto to Winnipeg is a. 2,300 kilometers in roughly 22 hours, B, 3,600 kilometers in 36 hours, or C, it's a road that never, ever, ever ends. Yeah, that's, I, I, I'm leaning towards C, but I think, <laughs> but I think actually, uh, my, my first thought was when you mentioned it, was that it was about 24 hours. So I'd go with A if I had to. If I had to put my money on something. Well, you're right on both accounts. That it, it, the the real answer is A. It's 2,300 kilometers in roughly 22 hours. But anybody right. who's ever done that ride, whether you're going from Winnipeg to Toronto, Toronto to Winnipeg, uh, that's a road that never ends. And yeah. anybody yeah, will tell is. you that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. And but I mean, you know, it, it's all relative, right? Like, uh, yeah, it, it's just it's. You know, it's all it's all part of the experience, and, and indeed, you know, what's what are and, some of your f- uh, favorite cities that you've played uh, throughout the country? You know, Winnipeg was one of those cities that was always that always saying to be kind of, you know, good to us. Um, we, you know, we it was rare that we didn't play there, like especially if we were somewhere out west. So I mean, Winnipeg was always good to us. Um, uh, like I said earlier, like Vancouver was good to us and, you know, we didn't spend a whole lot of time in Quebec in all honesty, like playing like Montreal or like we played Montreal a couple of times. Yeah. Um, but I mean, that was always kind of one thing too. And like in November of 97, kind of as we were wrapping up, uh, the year, um, we actually did a tour of Quebec kind of thing. We played like Quebec city and Montreal, and like uh, Saint Jerome and Prairie and there was somewhere else. Oh, I think like we played Point Claire, um, just outside of Montreal. Mm-hmm. And I mean that was you know that was almost a week unto itself because as you know like Quebec's kind of its own yeah market. And you know if you're a success in Canada, it doesn't mean it doesn't mean you're not in Quebec, but I mean it's it's its own beast kind of thing. And just sure. like there's Quebec, there's Quebecois artists that English Canada have no idea, but they're like platinum and friggin' triple platinum sellers in Quebec. I mean, it is, it's its own kind of world. Yeah. And, uh, and so, yeah, so we did, you know, we did a week in, in Quebec and we had our, our BMG, uh, rep at the time, 
Stefan, who's actually still with the company. I mean, it's Sony now, but he's still with the company. And I mean, he was with us. And I mean, it's all those things like, you know, it, it, it's all just, it, it all figures into kind of the bigger picture and, and sure. you know, the, the experience itself. Like just, sure. you know, just so much fun. Sure. Now you guys yeah. are still playing together, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now you have a gig coming up, don't you? Yeah, so we're playing. Um, we're playing. Uh, I, I don't know when when this will air, but we're playing on January of uh, January, uh, July first. So Canada Day here in Moncton. Sweet. And we're sorry. Go ahead. No, no, just sweet. What's what's the what's the gig and, and what's what's the current lineup of the band? So the the show we're playing on July first. Um, we're actually opening for. Uh, there's a, a a Quebecois singer. Uh, Laurent Gilbert and then Stephen Page and the Oz are headlining so okay. we're kind of like the, the, the warm up act and so the current lineup of the band is the four you know yeah. um, and then we've got a third guitarist and backup vocalist his name's Marco Rocca and Marco's been with us for like like 15 years and it was just kind of um, uh, it just allowed I think allowed you know, he Derek had stepped out of the band for a while, and Marco had stepped in to fill his place. Yeah. And so, and then Derek came back, and so Marco kind of left. And then, you know, there was one night I think PJ and Steve and Marco were out having a beer or something, and they're just like, "Well, you just join the band." And he's like, "Yeah, okay." So I mean, it was really like <laughs> informal, but I mean, Marco is a friggin' just an outrageous talent, like on his own. Like he's got you know kind of a different a couple different acts on the go yeah. he's an amazing songwriter but you know but he he adds you know so much to the band just sure. because like I, I think we all we all kind of feel like we, we've got to step up with with him in the band and not to say that we're lazy but i mean it's just he's been you know he's been he's proved to be inspirational like in a in a, a good way great and how are the rest of the yes. guys doing everyone's good like everyone's like busy um, you know, scheduling practice for us is, is like a bit like herding cats. I mean, it's, <laughs> you know, it, it, we have this ongoing uh, thread on Facebook and like, you know, practice, you know, this week and someone will be like, well, you know, I work Friday night, you know, at this time. So as long as like, you know, and so scheduling wise, it, it's a bit of a nightmare, but I mean, we, we make it work. And the thing is, is like, it's, we can be away from it for a period of time and, but the minute we get back together, it's like no time has passed kind of thing. And like we're, we're fortunate enough to be like a really tight unit despite how kind of infrequently we play. Um, you know, it just usually takes like a, a practice or two for us to kind of all kind of get uh, get back in, in sync with one another. Sure. So, I mean, we're, we're really lucky that way. Well, it's great. So yeah. uh, where can uh, people purchase your music? Can they buy it online? Yeah, yeah. So, um, so right now, like, pretty much all of the, the big digital service providers um, have it, like Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play, um, you know, and uh, it's even on, like, Tidal and some of the, like, Deezer and some of the, the lesser, less popular um, DSPs. Um, and then we have a kind of some of our stuff is posted on our Bandcamp site, too, which is monoxides.bandcamp.com. So that's kind of what we're, you know, what, you know, those are the platforms we're using. Um, you know, what about social media? What's the social media? We're on Facebook under the monoxides, Twitter, it's the same. Um, uh, we're on Instagram too. Like, and I mean, it's, it's tough because we're right now we're in a content driven world. And I mean, we're not necessarily the most prolific. So, I mean, our Instagram is usually just me self-indulgently like walking down memory lane and like, (laughs) Hey, look at this. Like we were a big thing once or, you know, (laughs) Hey, we, we played with rusty once kind of thing. Like, but I mean, but that's, you know, and I joke about it, but I mean, it's like, they were all, you know, it's all good times and it all evokes like really great memories. Absolutely. Ken, I'm yeah. so glad that you guys are still around and still playing because I love you guys. And Thanks, man. I'm so Thanks. grateful and, and for your time. You know, we're fortunate. We're fortunate that there's people like you that still give a shit. I mean, and and that's the thing. Like, and people have asked, like, like well, you know, uh, not necessarily in a snarky way, but like, well, why are you guys still playing? And it's like, well, people still show up to see us play. I mean, if there comes a time that we play a show and no one shows up, it'll be like, okay, boys, like we need to take a serious look. But I mean. 
people still like it's not like we've got like a million facebook followers or a million you know we've got a small but kind of dedicated group of people that you know as long as they show some inkling that they want to see us play and and listen to our music like we'll keep doing it like why why wouldn't we it's like that's kind of you know that was the whole premise when we started it's like oh cool you know we released a demo cassette 50 people bought it so 50 people you know show up at our shows and it's like why would we stop playing if if there's still interest you know and and obviously like we all get along and so there's no there's no you know personality conflict bullshit or anything like that like it's all it's all really you know it's good it's a good place you know it's a good place to be i'm so glad to hear that i I, i'm so glad to hear that yeah Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you being a part of the podcast and, and sharing some of your stories with me. Um, as I said, like I'm such a fan of the Monoxides. I love you guys. Thanks, uh, I'm dude. so grateful Thanks. that I got to meet you guys. And I'm looking forward to sharing this podcast with um, my, 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 my few hundred followers, which I'm hoping to grow too. But hey, yeah. <laughs> got to yeah, start but, somewhere. But see, that's just it. And, and I think... You know, I think a, a lot of things like this, like there's there's mutual benefits to it. I mean, you know, we're we're you know we try to share the heck out of whatever. Like if somebody like yourself takes the time to you know to to feature us or interview us or write about us kind of thing, like it, it's like that stuff you know matters a lot to us. Like I said, people still give a shit. So I mean, if there's something we can do to you know to help kind of move that forward too, I mean, we're you know to help move your podcast forward. I mean, we're we're help you know we're happy to do that too. Like it's thanks, everyone man. wins. Thanks, man. I give a shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, thank you, and we appreciate you giving a shit. Ken, I'll be in touch with you soon. Sounds good, Jeff. Thanks very much for your time. It was great to speak no, with you. No, thank you, buddy. Take care. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Take care. Okay, bye. See ya. This concludes this edition of the Highway One Podcast. I want to thank Ken Kelly of the Monoxides once again for his time and sharing his experiences touring Canada. From humble beginnings, proving with the right group of people, the right work ethic, and the right attitude, you can be successful as a musician in this country. And to that end, kids, put down your phones. Put down your game controller. Pick up an instrument and play a bunch of shows with your friends. You won't regret it. I'm your host, Jeff Elliott. The catchiest, most infectious theme music ever in podcast history provided by Dave Viva of the Mercy Now. Until next time, thanks for listening.